welcome to episode two of Evangelion, the Neon Genesis Evangelion uh, Rewatch Podcast. Uh, my name is Mike <laughs> Kelly. And I'm April Lynn Cowett, and today we're going to be talking about episodes five through seven. Yeah. It's been a, a interesting week. We're finally up on all of the uh, your favorite podcast feeds, which is kind of nice. Uh, you can actually listen to us now if you so desire. You've also had a very interesting week. You've been a little shaken up from what I understand. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. We had a couple of actually really big earthquakes. Um, we were far enough away from the epicenter that it wasn't, uh, there was no damage in our area, fortunately, but I've definitely haven't, they were, um, I think the first one was the 6.9 and the other one was the 7.1, which- Yeah, never, not good. No, I mean, back out in the east, I think the worst I'd been in was probably like a four point something. So- Yeah. That was, that was a new experience for me and, um- the in the actual well, the first one was fine. Mm. The second one, I was like, okay, now apparently we're having another earthquake. This is um now it's a unpleasant. This one's a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just aftershocks all night. Oh god. Um, so I'm like, am I losing my mind or is the world moving again? I can't actually tell anymore. God, that uh, that sounds terrifying to me, having lived on the East Coast my entire life. Like, it wasn't so bad. It was much better than last winter and the winter before that when the world was literally burning down around us. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a whole bunch of things going wrong. It's apocalyptic over in California these days, it seems. I mean, it seems like it's that way everywhere, right? These floods that keep happening and tornadoes happening in places that didn't used to get tornadoes and it's yeah. almost like the climate is changing a little bit yeah we did actually get a tornado warning here in brooklyn um a couple weeks ago and like it's one of those things you read it and like i'm sorry what <laughs> <laughs> wait what yeah i don't know well, that but- would have been a bad place for a tornado yeah it's a little dense here um things could have gone really badly but enough of the uh, uh, the actual apocalypse we're going through right now. Let's get into the uh, the coming apocalypse with Evangelion. So uh, yes. this week we're going to be talking about uh, first we're going to be talking about episode five, which is uh, Ray One or Ray Beyond the Heart. And these uh, episode five and episode six are two is a two parter episode. Basically, there is a break in the middle. There's uh, a recap in the beginning of this of episode six. So it's kind of as a whole, it's kind of like one through line uh, to mm-hmm. this arc. And this is where we really start to uh, learn a lot more about uh, the nature of Ray, uh, Ray Ayanami. What is your impression of Ray? Like uh, as this episode, as these episodes kind of portray her as. Ray is so strange. <laughs> she is almost robotic in her reactions to everything. Yeah. With the one exception of. When she's interacting with Gendo. One of the few times she smiles is when she's with Gendo. Right. So, and I don't remember how much of that gets cleared up later on in the show. Don't really know what to make of her. So I had kind of an impression of Ray from back in the day, like, uh, you know, kind of the quiet, the quiet girl in, in like the background almost most of the time. And Mm -hmm. This like this first episode really sets up. It's really Shinji's first exposure to who Ray is. Like he's seen her before, and he's seen he's almost admired her in a sense. Like she is kind mm-hmm. 
like beyond the the daily stresses of piloting an Evangelion and even hell, even school. Right. Um, but now he goes and he like he sees how she lives and like one of the the weirdest sequences that I, I had almost completely forgotten about was when he goes to her apartment to drop ostensibly to drop <laughs> off uh, poor Shinji. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a little bit awkward. I remember being fourteen, but this is on another level. But like one thing that kind of struck me is that like everything around this is it's weirdly dissonant. So mm-hmm. the shot of the apartment complex that Ray lives in, it's uh, the shot is kind of like a series of buildings and they almost look like computer servers. Like they almost look like you're entering a computer, uh, which is where Ray lives apparently. But when you get to her apartment, it's kind of squalid. Like it's kind mm-hmm. of dirty, like no upkeep. She clearly doesn't like have much. I don't even know the right way to put it, but like, she has no regard for her well-being or quality of life. Yeah. Like, I think, like, but even in very subtle ways, like, but, like, you know, she doesn't take her shoes off when she enters her apartment. Um, mm. So she doesn't necessarily care about, like, you know, having her apartment messed up. But she's taking a shower. Like, she is doing some kind of basic upkeep when Shinji uh, comes in. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean by dissonant. There's just it, like and maybe she it's has, just a setup for the fan service. That's what I was thinking, <laughs> but like, it's not very fan servicey. It's very cold in a way. Yeah. Like, it, there's just uh, other these other dissonant moments. Like, she seems like you know utterly unperturbable. Like mm-hmm. you know Shinji in in that scene where he basically falls on her and her towel drops away and he's basically on top of her with her below him naked and he's got a hand on her boob essentially like she's unperturbable she's like right like could you move please like yeah. that is her only thing right and well that's kind of what i mean by robotic like things that should affect her in some way don't seem to at all she seems mildly annoyed at him mm. but other than that There's no, she has no sense of modesty. She is upset that he bar, that he is wearing Gendo's glasses when she walks in. There are little things Mm. that will set her off. Uh, But other than that, she is completely level headed to the point of being inhuman. Yeah. Inhuman is a good way to put it. She seems very, like, there's been a lot of this allusion to Shinji being uh, an item or, you know, dehumanized, but Rei is that. Right. Ray is that fo- that further, um, like taking that to its logical end. And it's interesting. You brought up the, uh, the Gendo um, glasses, stuff like that. Like the only time we see like stark emotion out of Ray is um, number one, when uh, you know, she walks in and Shinji's wearing the glasses and she, mm-hmm. she grabs them off of his face. It's like the only sentimental item in that entire apartment. And, then on the escalator, when Shinji says something mildly disapproving about his father, like I think completely understandably, mm-hmm. and she turns around and smacks him. Like yeah. doesn't doesn't chastise him, just like she says something like, You don't trust your father, and he says, No, why the hell should I? And she turns around and smacks. And it's just like that is a leap from utter emotionlessness to striking out literally at someone. Right. And it, she is just a very strange character in that sense. So let's, let's talk about a little bit like what her relationships is with Gendo and Shinji. 
Kendo is like, again, the only time we've seen him, you know, lose his calm, like that utter calm that Gendo has is in that beginning of episode five, mm-hmm. where he goes to rescue her from the uh, the entry plug that has been uh, damaged, or I forget what exactly happened to it. It was forcibly ejected from the rampaging Evangelion. And he, he like, sacrifices himself in some small way to go rescue her, which... Again, very dissonant. Also, when you compare the two, like how he treats Shinji is very. Yeah, so he treats his own child with disdain. Mm-hmm. But Ray, who we don't know much about, in, te- in fact, her, our introduction to her is that she has no history. Her history mm-hmm. has been erased, or she doesn't have any recollection of it, and they don't have any record of it, supposedly. Well, does she have no recollection of it, or does she just not interested in that? Um, they make some comment about her not having a history, but now I don't remember if it was that they don't Mm. know or that she doesn't know or both, but somebody doesn't know what her history is. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely obfuscated. There are some remarks I remember when they're at the, uh, again, more of a fan service thing when the, uh, the the girls in the pool at the school, like, Mm. uh, I think it's. Toji is says something about like, yeah, she just kind of came out of nowhere or like she's so strange like that. And like, yeah, she seems to just kind of spread up from, from nowhere. Yeah. It's very strange. But, um, so on the other hand, you know, Shinji's father is basically, he acts to her as he should be acting to Shinji parental Mm. and protective and loving. The only time we see him smile is when he say you know same thing was with Ray doesn't smile unless she's with Gendo. The only time we see Gendo smile so far is when he's talking to Ray. I think that burns Shinji up a lot. Like mm-hmm. he's he's like you know he is, has this image of his dad as like this cruel, heartless taskmaster, and he sees him being fatherly with someone that's not him. I don't know if he's angry at Ray or if he's just kind of puzzled by it, but he clearly wants to know more about her. Like mm-hmm. she fascinates him in a way. And when he gets close, I don't think he gets any kind of answers. Like, at least not in this episode. Right. Um, she's just like, you, you want to know the backstory of like, why mm-hmm. did these two connect? Is it because like Ray and Gendo are very much the same? They are very like focused on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, or are they just kind of naturally like a, uh, what's the word? Um, socially awkward. And so they've kind mm-hmm. of grown to each other that way, which, you know, is a nice little parallel for Shinji as well. He's also very socially awkward and kind of quiet, introverted. Yeah, I definitely am curious. And I don't remember. There's so much that I don't remember that is brand new for me about this show because it's been mm-hmm. so long. Like, do we ever get that answered? That's something I definitely want answered is what happened between Shinji and Gendo mm-hmm. that severed their relationship and what happened with Gendo and Ray that makes them connect? There's just so many unanswered questions. I don't like it. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, certainly this one. I do remember from back in the day. I'm not going to spoil it, but um, as we go through it, but like there is a sort of an explanation that's coming up in later mm-hmm. episodes about okay. wh- why Gendo feels the way he does towards Ray. But at this point, it's just like, this is notable for the impact it has on Shinji uh, right. because, again, he's being thrown into new shit all the goddamn time. And this is a new, uh, 
like an entirely new emotional state for him. Yeah, and that moment where she, where Ray slaps him mm-hmm. for the comment he makes about Gendo, um, that's very striking to me too because it demonstrates again the parallels. She has complete and utter trust mm-hmm. in Gendo's abilities and intelligence and you know, ability to protect and mm-hmm. plan. Uh, whereas Shinji has almost no trust in his father's plans yeah, um, or trust in his father's ability to be a protective adult. Yeah. But I, there's something about that trust that is almost. So one thing that's, you know, obviously there's a lot of Christian imagery in, um, in these episodes, although we'll get into it a little bit later. A lot of it seems kind of incidental um, mm-hmm. now that we're going through it again. But uh, the like the amount of faith that Ray has in Gendo, because I don't mm-hmm. think she's been brought into what his real plans are, or what have you. He's he's clearly holding a lot of secrets, mm-hmm. but she still believes him. Like she still trusts him. She is definitely like a disciple at the altar of Gendo. That sounds really overblown, but um, it does. I'm not sure that I would go that far because, like you said, she isn't really being. As far as we know, she hasn't been let in on any of the plan. It's possible that she has, but it seems like much the way Shinji is just doing what he's told under duress, she is doing what she's told without arguing the point. Yeah. And they are both being treated as tools and means to an end. Yeah. I mean, they are, but Rei is okay with it while Shinji is not. Right. Is the point I'm saying is that I, I think she like she doesn't seem to care too much about her own well-being, obviously, like like we were talking about. But like she sure as hell wants to protect Gendo in a lot of ways. And she sure as hell like is willing to put all her trust in him, mm-hmm. um, even though she's not brought in. And Shinji is, again, a little bit more skeptical and. I mean, he's been traumatized by Gendo in the past, so that's probably part of it, certainly. But So let's move on to the next episode, actually, because uh, there's more stuff going on with Rey in this episode. Top level, like, you know, as we're going through, like, this, you know, let's get to know Rey, an angel shows up, a giant uh, diamond thing in the sky. And the episode ends with uh, the, the thing, the angel firing a, just some kind of, like, beam of light at the Evangelion, just as it gets up to attack it, and it's targeted directly at Shinji. It's mm-hmm. targeted like it's uh, very, very focused on what it's doing, and then it starts drilling down into uh, uh, the Geo front uh, to try to access Nerve or attack Nerve. So a plan is hatched, and there's a couple of moments along this pathway that's a, that are really kind of again show a little bit more about Ray's character, and I think one of the big ones is. The moment when uh, right before the the event starts or the operation starts and it's Shinji and it's Rei and they're out of their Evangelions and they're talking to each other like Shinji kind of is I mean, he's kind of been Shinjiing all over this episode. Um, (laughs) He's like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And he asks Rei, like, why does why are you doing this? You know, aren't you scared of piloting the Evangelion? And she says something along the lines of it's my link to everything. How did Mm -hmm. you, how did you take that line? 
well, I think so. I think I think he had to have her um, clarify that at first, mm -hmm. uh, because I think at first she just said that it was her link, mm -hmm. and he said what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, which, yeah, that's a little cryptic. It's a little vague. And you said, you're linked to, to people. And she said, no, my link to everything. I think how I took that was that Ray sees herself as she has no connection. Her connection is as a useful tool, much like mm. you were saying. Her connection to everyone around her and the world, she has no purpose other than to pilot the Eva. And so without that, she has no, no connection. She has no use. And so it's everything to, for her to be that pilot. Without yeah, that, mean, she's just lost. Like when, when, when she said that, I'm like, you know, you know, it's my connection to everything. My first reaction was obviously like, oh God, like she really is a isolated, but B like her, her only connection is mm -hmm. Gendo. Um, uh, like through the Evangelion, like the Evangelions are Gendo's baby, um, mm -hmm. so to speak. And this is her way to connect with someone, no matter what, no matter how much danger it puts her in. Yeah. And then the other thing is that, so she says farewell twice in that episode. The first yeah. time after Shinji implies that he's not going to pilot the Eva again. And yeah. she leaves him in his hospital bed saying, okay, farewell. Um, and then the second time before she gets back into the Eva at the beginning of the um, operation, she clearly doesn't think she's going to survive this. Yeah. She thinks this is going to be a suicide mission for her. She is ready um, to die. Yeah. She's ready to put everything on the line to do what is expected of her. She was also told of this, like in the run up to the operation, uh, Misato is briefing the kids and she's like, okay, Shinji, you're going to be the gunner, rig your defense. Mm -hmm. And she kind of, she's like, my only role is defense. And Misato says, yes. And she's like, okay. Like, she knows that, like, she saw what that beam did to Shinji. Mm -hmm. She knows what she needs to defend against. And she knows, right. like, she is putting herself literally in the line of fire. Right. Which is, again, like, the, the way she views herself as a tool, as a utility, and, like, something to be used and discarded almost um in furtherance of the goal is it's sad in a way just because like there's clearly something off with ray and how she perceives herself and how she mm -hmm. interacts with others it's it's someone who i mean the, the image is, that's coming to mind is this someone that has been sheltered their entire life she doesn't know anything else Mm -hmm. And that kind of comes to a head in the the last or the nearly last scene of this, the smile that launched a thousand gifts. The when uh, after the uh, the whole operation goes off, and uh, Ray's uh, entry plug has been ejected, Shinji goes in much the same way that Gendo did uh, an episode ago, pries open the burning entry plug and like rescues Ray. And saying, and she, he comes in, she says, I don't know what to say, what to do in times like this. I'm, I'm just kind of, I don't know. And well, then Shinji. Specifically in reaction to the fact that Shinji is crying over her. That's right. Yes. Yeah. She doesn't know how to react to someone's like vulnerability or raw emotion. Somebody crying about him or her. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't see herself as worthy of that, I guess. Or, or it confuses her in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like, why? I'm just a, I'm just a tool here. Why are you shedding tears over me? 
Well, and specifically because she has no connection to Shinji, as far mm-hmm. as she knows. She's been completely cold to him. Mm-hmm. They are not friends by any means. No. Um, it's a little bit puzzling for the viewers, too, why he is crying over her. Except that he has somehow picked this is the one person that he is going to be emotional about for some reason. Yeah. And and that was actually something I was confused about. Like, why is he emotional about her? Like, I know he doesn't like seeing death. Like, you, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of a common thing for Shinji. And he's he's worried about it. But is he, like, why is he crying? Is it because that simple fact that he doesn't like death? Or the fact that, like, Rei is something that's connected to him by way of Gendo? Or he sees a connection between her and Gendo and he wants to know more about it. Mm-hmm. And the thought of losing that. Is something that really I think it might be just as simple as the fact that here is someone who is going through the same thing as him. It's the only person he can really relate to on that level. Mm-hmm. She is being treated the same way as him in terms of a utility. She has to pilot the Eva. He sees mm-hmm. what she goes through and he feels sympathy for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in this world of adults who are using him. You know, even at this point, no, it's not until the next episode that Misato makes her comment about him and work, I think. Yeah. You know, in this world, there there are the adults who are using him, and then there are the other kids who are naive and clueless about what he's going through. Really, she is the only person he can relate to on that level. That's a very valid point. Like, as far as he knows, and as far as we know, there are only two people that compile out Evangelions. And it's Rei and Shinji. Misato, like, you know, obviously has Shinji's best interest at heart, I think. But she doesn't understand it. Like, no one understands what he's going through except maybe Rei. And, mm-hmm. yeah, he sees himself in her a lot as much as he he fears, like, you know, his worst case, you know, catastrophizing scenario is like, yeah, what if it doesn't work and we all die? And, like, I'm on the front lines of that. I'm going to be the first one to die. Yeah, it, it, it's too weirdly kindred souls reaching out for each other in a kind of way. So yeah, I guess I can see that. And that's probably to some degree why Ray smiles back. Like, I think so. I think that's part of it. There is, I did have a question of, is she smiling just because he told her to? It seemed that way. Yeah. Uh, or is it a genuine, it looks like a genuine smile, but it's really hard to tell with Ray mm-hmm. how much of her behavior is calculated. But he doesn't, order her to to smile he doesn't say no but he smile. does say she asks ida or says i don't know how to behave in a situation like this and he mm-hmm. tells her well you could start by smiling yeah so it isn't an order but it is a suggestion of what to do and there's a moment of connection there like he's he's helping her and he's helping her still like he helped her by like prying open the plug but also i don't know how to react well here take this advice and like, you can do this in times like this. Yeah. And like, it shows that maybe she's a little bit conscious of how isolated she is socially. So the other interesting thing about, I think about that scene is like you said, it is not only similar to, but it is almost the exact image of earlier in the episode or last episode when Gendo is rescuing her from her entry plug. Mm -hmm. Then we see later on in those two episodes, Shinji doing the exact same thing. 
rescuing yeah. her from an entry plug that has been ejected. And it even has a flashback from, from her perspective mm-hmm. of that same image, but his father looking down into the entry. So there's a connection between son and father that is very interesting, considering how much they dislike each other. The fact that like races both like superimposed on each other, I, I I think she's you know it's a nod to the audience that like yeah, Gendo and Shinji are a lot more alike than I think that they want to think that they are. <laughs> like they are both willing to help someone they care about. They are both kind of awkward socially. They are both willing to some degree in very in differing ways to be like to give themselves over to the mission or to like what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what race sees and, and respects to a large degree. Yeah. That may be what kind of opens her up to the idea of friendship with Shinji. Yeah. yeah someone her own age. Like she's always had a connection to Gendo. Now here's a little mini Gendo that she like can relate to <laughs> on a peer level. Right. Like maybe not quite sure. So there's a couple other things that, that, that kind of I wanted to just bring up with Ray, and I'm I'm not sure quite where this goes, but there's a lot of imagery, and it's even in the opening credits of mm-hmm. Ray in the Moon. Like mm. there's there's a lot of imagery of uh, like when they're before the operation starts, like they talk, and then there's a shot to the moon after the after Shinji rescues her, it pans up to the moon. Hmm. Um, so some of it may be I'm just straight up like the moon is very calm compared to the sun mm-hmm. it is soft glowing it doesn't at least the light is not harsh it is right. something that is just kind of there for you to like admire but not really it doesn't cause you harm mm-hmm. and i think that comes a little bit stronger when um we get the next evangelion pilot who's a lot more fiery um <gasps> not to go too much into that but, spoilers no totally uh but yeah i the imagery of Ray and the moon, like I'm trying to think if there's any other reads on that besides just the, the, the pilots being uh, like that. I'm not quite sure, but it's hmm. something to keep I hadn't even on. noticed it. Um, but now that you mentioned, is that Ray in the closing credits? Yes. The shadow. Okay. Fly me to the moon. Yeah, that is Ray. So that's interesting. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Like there's, there's other imagery that can, that may come into play later on with Ray and the moon. Like, we're going to get into again more heavy-duty Christian imagery, um, you know, where the moon has certain um, certain mystical things in things like the Kabbalah and uh, stuff like that. Again, based on the nature of how they're treating the Christian iconography in this, it may be incidental in that way, or not quite, uh, not properly, but like almost uh, not quite the the depth that it thinks it is. uh, Yeah. I remember watching this the first time going, there are so many symbols and getting extremely excited about it. And I think that having done a little bit of reading since then, and it's been a while since I did any reading, but I feel like what I learned was a lot of the Christian Judeo Christian imagery that's used is more Mm. for the sake of adding an air of mysticism to the show rather than actual, deep commentary one thing one thing that's in the next episode i I think it's in the next episode where at one point they're talking about nerves funding at one point and uh they see uh, there's a conversation on an elevator 
and it says something along the lines. Uh, uh, one person says something along the lines of "Man does not live by Evangelion oh. alone." <laughs> yes, I think uh, Ritsuko said that. Yeah, yeah, that I, just made me giggle. And I'm like, like that's the exact opposite of what that quote actually means. Like the you know, "Man does not live on bread alone, but uh, on every word that comes from the mouth of God." You're talking about like, yeah, man does not live on Evangelion's alone. I'm like, you know, we need money. And I'm like, no, 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 you're talking – that's backwards. You know, Evangelion mm-hmm. or evangelism like is literally the, the words of God and mm-hmm. money is, you know, kind of a parallel for bread. And like – and it's just this weird inversion that I don't – like they don't do anything with it. It's just Did kind of Did you there. look up whether that is something that they say – that they added into the translation or if it's something that they actually say in Japanese? Oh, I don't know, actually. Because um, I th- I know sometimes with – what's the word? Um, you know, f- figures of speech, mm-hmm. they'll often substitute one that makes sense in English for oh, one okay. that wouldn't make any sense if they translated it word for word. And so I wonder – it's possible, given all the Christian imagery, that they did say that. But mm-hmm. it's also possible that they just fi- picked another figure that was familiar to English-speaking listeners – that yeah, to fit in idiom, where basically. there was another phrase. Um, so it'd be interesting to look that up. Yeah, I, that could very well be the case. I wonder if it's, I wonder if, I mean, this seems more deliberate just because, well, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe the translator said like, well, you know, let's throw in something that sounds vaguely Christian to like keep it in line with everything else that's going on in this thing. That's a good question, actually. I have to figure that out. Yeah. So it could go either way. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel like, the Christian imagery is not as deep as it seems like it should be. Yeah. When you examine it. And certainly less deep now that like, you know, I'm watching it 20 years later with a religion degree. <laughs> um, but right. yeah, it's a little bit strange. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to point out again, very quickly is that like, there's a theme in here that's uh, evolution. And there's a mm-hmm. the, so in in specifically around the ideas of both the angels and humans. Early on in the first episode, uh, Ritsuko is looking at something on a uh, computer with a beautiful cathode ray tube monitor, um, and <laughs> basically says like, "Oh yeah, the DNA between angels and humans is like ninety nine point eight nine percent the same." Right. And the angels are attacking humanity, humanity, and they're very different looking than humanity. But they're both exhibiting similar characteristics. Like the first, uh, the first angel was just straight up like you know a brute force attack kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this angel is again much more directed. Like it's like okay, mm-hmm. kill the pilot, get to nerve uh, instead of just kind of bash its way through. Right. And similarly, humans are adapting. Like they send out Shinji, and they evidently like all right, go kick its ass. But then they're like, no, we have to actually create this massive fucking sniper rifle with all the energy in Japan <laughs> to fire one shot through this thing. But I mean, it is clever. Like it is a, a fact that they are, they get, they get two shots. They do get two shots. Yeah. That's a little bit of a weird plot hole. It's like all the energy in Japan. Well, take the, all the energy again, maybe, <laughs> but it, it's curious, you know, the idea of angels as Kaiju or these big, monsters that lack any kind of humanity and yet they're showing some kind of directed knowledge and learning much like humans yeah they're definitely you know they're learning a they're learning where the eva 
units appear mm-hmm. because it's waiting right there. Yeah. As soon as it shows up, it, it's ready to fire. I didn't even notice uh, that, but yeah, you're right. And also, yeah, they're evolving in their abilities. They are learning, which is very interesting because it's different. It's not the same one learning. Mm-hmm. Different angels are coming in and learning from previous angels' mistakes. Implies a kind of like ha- shared consciousness, maybe. Or that they're observing somehow. I mean, we have no idea even what angels are at this point, how they work. We know some very confusing things about them. For instance, that their substance exhibits the properties of both light and matter, but it has DNA-like substance. Very confusing beings. They have This one has a gigantic drill that can drill through 22 layers of shielding and Earth's core. Yeah. Not really sure how that works. They're mysterious creatures. But yet so similar to human. They're kind of like a dark mirror. Hmm? Somehow. Somehow. In some weird, (laughs) wooey way. No, totally. Totally. I mean, as we'll learn in later episodes, like the angels are going to change form even more and more. But like, it's an interesting thing to notice that both sides of this conflict are adapting in their own ways. But yeah, uh, so let's get on to episode seven here. Um, so this is, we're out of the Ray arc here, and this is, uh, what was the title of this episode? A Human Work or the Works of Man. This is uh, just real broadly, Misato and uh, Ritsuko go and witness uh, their new, a, a new kind of uh, project that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so just before we get going, I wanted to make the comment that last episode I mentioned that they were using the English title cards in the episodes, which were different than the titles on Netflix. And I noticed now that they have reverted to the Japanese title cards. You don't know that they've retitled them. Um, it's almost like they heard me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean... I mean, there's a lot of things about this, like, release that's a little bit weird, like, you know, the music stuff and now the the cards and stuff like that. I don't know quite what happened over at Netflix. It's, it's probably a good story, but who knows? But yeah, um, one thing that, like, is really brought to a forefront in this episode, the representatives of Nerve are Ritsuko and uh, Misato, the women of Nerve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd, men- you'd seen this in a couple episodes uh, previously where, like, a lot of nerve is female. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of their subordinate staff, mm-hmm. their first pilot. Soon to be their third pilot, as we'll find out. But like, it is a very, yeah, it is very, not feminized, but like, like huh. strong representation of women in these roles. Yes. And we see that in stark contrast to the staff at this rival organization who are mm-hmm. all men. And they also notice that yeah. a lot of nerve is female and they make very uh, disparaging man. remarks about hysterical women. Yeah. <laughs> That's just like, I, I mean, I, I think on a little bit, this is like, I looked at this, I'm like, Oh, this is stereotypical male chauvinist, like businessman bullshit. But yes, but like it serves a point here. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It absolutely does. It serves to bring to our attention. The fact that with the exception of, Gendo and his second in command, who's mm-hmm. always standing there over his shoulder, 
uh, the people in charge are women. You've got Misato, who is fierce in both this episode and then the previous episode. Well, I guess this one, Rutsuko takes center stage at first, but Mm -hmm. um, in the previous episode, you've got Misato, who takes charge. She sees the problems with their attempts to fight the angel, and she just forms a plan. She doesn't take no for an answer. She goes in and commandeers equipment. She is intimidating. Yeah. The difference of approach of those two, like it's not just men versus women, like Misato and Ritsuko are kind of different modes of each other. Like Ritsuko gets up uh, and like talks to this guy in the middle of this meeting or this presentation. And she's very controlled. She's very like, you know, point by point, I'm going to refute this, that, and the other thing. Then when it cuts to after that, uh, Misato is so pissed. She is like kicking and like denting a (laughs) locker, just lashing out. And then as a counterpoint, Ritsuko is in the back. She's very carefully burning the other person's proposal. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, that in that, the first part of that scene where Ritsuko is talking um, and she's very clearly upset, but she's holding, mm. she's staying calm, but she's gritting her teeth. She's trembling and she is speaking her mind shamelessly. And Misato says, okay, stop. You're making a scene. <laughs> and then pan over to Misato kicking a locker. Yeah, and totally. Ritsuko says, stop. You're making a scene. The exact yeah. same thing. They are, they are perfect compliments to each other in a way. Um, mm-hmm. That relationship is fascinating to me. It's not adversarial, even though they are very different people. Like, like they are a front almost in a weird kind of way. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially mm-hmm. in this scene. Yeah, there's a reason they sent the two of them off to do this, whatever yeah. they're doing there. I'm not quite sure why they were there <laughs> at all, really. Well, I think we know why they were there, what the... Um, Secret motive was, at least. Yeah, that does get clear by the end of the episode, certainly. Um, I think that the public motive is the public face is just they are there to be witnesses um, to Mm. this technology. I mean, it seems like different heads of different organizations have all been invited to observe. Yeah, and that's that's the other, like, main theme of this episode is, like, nerve versus the rest of the world um, in a lot of ways. It's... Um, like this, this new organization is doing things their own way and nerve is doing its own thing. And like, they are sending, you know, Masato and, um, Ritsuko there to oversee it or whatnot. There are very differing philosophies driving both of these. This, uh, uh, I wrote down in my notes, um, when, uh, when this big thing happened and I'm like, oh, capitalism still continues after the second impact. <laughs> Um, but it really is, and it's this very efficient, cost-efficient kind of way of creating something that is very risk-averse. It is something that is like, uh, like we know how to do something like this. It may not solve the problem, but it's what we can do. Whereas mm-hmm. Nerve is very, no, we have the answer. It's risky. Like it doesn't necessarily hit like your KPIs here. But it works. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it may be dangerous. Certainly we may have low chances of success of even synchronizing the pilots. But it does work. It's kind of a fascinating dichotomy between the two. Mm-hmm. And 
you can sort of see echoes of Gendo's like go it alone kind of mentality here as well. Like mm-hmm. Nerve is him. He is Nerve. I mean, this is also like in the structure of the two robots, the JA, uh, the what is it, the Jet Alone? I think it was called. Um, yeah, I think something like that. Yeah, I mean, it is all right angles and metal plates and like you know scales almost. Mm-hmm. And then as in the last half of the episode, you know, as uh, shown against Eva Unit O One which is way more organic, way more like musculature. Well, literally organic. We learn that there are, you know, we get confirmed that they know that there are organic parts. We'd only Mm -hmm. had suspicions of that before with Shinji getting a glimpse of the Eva's eyes Mm -hmm. and it running on its own. We didn't really understand how that was possible. Well, now we know at least part of the Evangelion is made of organic matter. Yeah. And that's what gives it its strength. Like, that's what, you know, I mean, Gendo clearly saw something in, like, creating an organic uh, Evangelion unit that gives it its strength. And there's some back and forth in this episode about, like, humanity versus technology, which is, you know, kind of an old trope. Like, I mean, it's not necessarily anything new, but it does show you that, like, Nerve is going to be on the side of humanity here, even if it doesn't necessarily seem that way. So there's also, uh, we learn a lot about Masato in this episode as well. After like the, uh, the JA unit is like going to go critical or go nuclear or whatever the hell is going on with that damn thing. Right. Masato lives up to her position, her rank. I'm not quite sure how to put it. We start out this episode with like the funny little thi- like interlude at home with Masato <laughs> where she gets up drunk and, and mm-hmm. then when she goes off to this conference, she opens the door in a like, like perfectly tailored suit and shinji mm-hmm. and pen pen are just like holy what what they what? are stunned what is yeah. going on why is she up and dressed and ready <laughs> yeah like considering like she like falls out of bed whenever she feels like it but when she's when she's on she's on mm-hmm. yeah and it shows that contrast between her you know home misato and work misato yeah, absolutely. I mean, also, like, we get a glimpse of this in the previous episode when they're talking about um, bringing together the Operation, uh, oh, what was it called? It's actually based on, I actually did some research on this. It's based on an old uh, Warring States battle, Operation Yashima. So, but anyway, as a, that's not important. Um, <laughs> Misato, like, she is sitting in the command chair, getting sit reps from every aspect of Nerve and weaving them together into a plan. Mm-hmm. Like, Again, when she's on, she's on. Yeah, she's formidable. That that is even in spite of her like kind of impetuous is probably the best way to put it. Her nature that way, like when she hears that, like you know, okay, yeah, this thing you have to turn this thing off from the inside. She's like, all right, I'll go do it. Yeah, and like she's like immediately like, all right, give me the suit. Let's let's friggin' go. It's kind of remarkable. And the thing that kind of that bugged me about this is that as we learned at the end, it didn't matter. Right. Like Misato, uh, so the whole thing was a, like a plan set up by Gendo to make the thing look dangerous and then shut it off at the last second. Right. But Misato doesn't know that. She's not brought in on the plan. She just right. goes in and does it. I mean, she's certainly brave to do that, and she's certainly self sacrificing to do that, but like, in service of what? Does well, that make any sense to you? Or, um, well, I mean, so I think it's interesting that. Clearly, they underestimate Misato if they didn't think that she was going to go in and do that, unless they thought that she would. But Ritsuko makes a comment about 
the plan went perfectly except for Misato's little stunt. So she clearly wasn't expecting it to ha- to go that way. So I find it really interesting that they know Misato, at mm-hmm. least I think they do, but they're not expecting her to act this way in service of humanity. I mean, she, as far as she knows, this has to, somebody has to do something. She is all action. She's can't just sit by and watch these bureaucrats yeah. making phone calls to try and get approval God, what a to great do scene. the thing. She just needs to go. She sees a problem and she is going to solve it. And if nobody else will do anything, she's going to be the one. Which is kind of strange considering what we're just talking about is like nerve strength is humanity. And that's exactly what Misato shows. And it was an unexpected thing for them. Very, very odd kind of parallel here. But that's kind of where we leave it. Uh, this is kind of the end of the uh, the first seven episodes, which are kind of colloquial no- con- uh, colloquially known as the prologue arc. Uh, we're about to enter the action arc. What did you think of this? Like uh, both these these three episodes, and uh, I guess the first seven in general. Like, what is your uh, recollection of this now? And like, what were you, what was your favorite scene of the past uh, couple episodes? So I found much less to my notes were a lot more sparse on mm. these episodes. Um, I think I found them to be much more action oriented than mm. symbolism oriented. Yeah. Uh, but there were definitely a lot of really interesting parallels. We see a lot of characters being set up as foils for each other and being set up as intentional pairings. You know, if you've got the Shinji versus Rei and Gendo yeah. versus Shinji and Misato versus Shinji and Misato versus Ritsuko. So I find all that very interesting, you know, seeing what we can learn about each character by their complement or their opposite. Yeah. I mean, it brings those characteristics, whether the same or different, to very stark contrast and they bounce off someone. Yeah. Um, so that was really satisfying. I really, really loved seeing Misato do some really cool crap. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Ritsuko too. Like she, her standing her ground in the middle. And not only does she stand her ground, but she does it. They are the only people sitting at their table. Mm-hmm. The, all the shots we get of the audience in that, you know, episode seven display of power. They are sitting at a gigantic table by themselves, no one else around, and all the other tables are swarmed with people. They don't have any friends there. And mm. for her to stand her ground in the midst of that opposition and being mocked publicly um, just gave me a lot of respect for her. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that was definitely one of my favorite episodes. I think overall for these three episodes, my favorite was gendo rescuing ray from Mm -hmm. the escape from the um entry plug which is funny because i don't like gendo he (laughs) is a rat bastard i don't think anybody likes gendo maybe ray (laughs) no he's not supposed to be a likable character um so that moment of tenderness him losing his cool for the first time in these episodes and being distraught that something might have happened to ray was touching you know it softened Mm -hmm. me to him a little bit it shows okay there's some humanity to this man who was otherwise just cold and impersonal and calculating. Yeah. It, it kind of, 
upturns all you know about Gendo that we've learned in the first couple episodes. Uh, this cold distance person, and now he's wait a minute, he's actually caring and like who is this man? What 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 does he contain? Yeah. So what about you? What um what's your favorite episode for, or part from these episodes? Oh man. Um I mean I so I've always been like when I when I think back on Evangelion, like the the character that always jumped out to me the most was Ray. She was so so much of a cipher uh, for a lot of it, and so I was really looking forward to these episodes. And I ended up getting just a little bit more confused about Ray. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe my memories of like what she had done, uh, you know, when I first watched it, with how I how I see her now, like she's more pitiable. She's more, um, she's more lonely than I remember. Mm. Like in the past, like I, you know, I kind of admired like, yeah, she's kind of above it all. Like I could, you know, she doesn't give two shits about the guy, you know, the, the boys that are hooting and hollering at her while she's, you know, uh, in the pool, her isolation is something that kind of speaks to me a lot. Um, especially in like how she, you know, lives in her apartment and stuff like that. I mean, I live in my own apartment and all that kind of stuff, and it's not as bad as Ray's, <laughs> per- personally, but... Like, you don't have bloody bandages piled up in a corner? No, 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 no. I cleaned those up last weekend. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, like, it is a, like, how much more of a home my place is than hers. Like, there are items that I have, and, like, I have connections, even though I think I, mm-hmm. you know... You know, I'm, I kind of, I work at home, so it's like, I don't feel like I have a lot of connections, but I, I have a tremendous amount. At least compared to mm-hmm. Ray. I mean, the thing that the the scene that jumped out to me the most was like was obvious. It was probably one of the big scenes in Evangelion is Ray's smile. Mm-hmm. Like that is one of those moments where it's like you realize like there's there's so much going on with that. There's so much you don't know about Ray, and there's so much that you you think you know about Shinji, and that interaction with them in the entry plug is just layered with meaning about like how Ray feels about Shinji herself, Gendo, like uh, her mission, like, you know, that smile means a lot more than she's happy. It means more. It means that she is hopeful in some ways. And that's, Mm -hmm. that kind of struck me um, this time through going back to these episodes is kind of, kind of weird like you have all these preconceptions and you just see, view them in entirely different ways now speaking of next episodes uh <laughs> we are about to enter the action arc um which is the next six or so episodes so uh april what are you looking forward to in this arc is this the arc where they do that really cool synchronized attack yep that's one of my favorites. <laughs> that um, is a great episode. That is a great episode. And I am looking forward to the introduction of Kaji, Masato's ex-boyfriend. Yeah, we, And we, pretty much only because I am a sucker for a love story. It is a very bizarre love story with those Well, two. you know, this is an entirely bizarre show. Yeah, so. that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, take Kaji, what I can get. Kaji is very strange. Like, he has a role... Not only with like regard to Misato, but like within the overall plot, like Kaji, like is a lot more involved. I've, I've been looking up little things. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how he fits in a little bit more 
a plot wise, I guess for me, it's like, this is where like the entire gang gets together and like the, probably right. one of the other most notable characters is Asuka who is coming up uh, in the next episode called Asuka strikes. Asuka is so frustrating to me. <laughs> she is a strange character. Like she is a, like a full counterpoint to Ray uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But, and she is, well, I don't want to go too much into it because we're going to be talking about her next week. She is fire that's thrown into the middle of this whole thing and like stirs everything up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm really like, we kind of have our characters set. So let's introduce just some chaos and see what happens. She does lighten the mood a bit, which is good. I think that we're well overdue for some lightness oh yeah 100 percent. like the the action arc is a very light arc like these are where like some of the more traditional like big battle like mech show type things happen like the synchronized battle happens i'm so excited yeah that's a good one <laughs> um really interested to see that one again uh any other thoughts uh before we send it out um, I think the only last thought I had is what's up with Pen Pen? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Why? I, so, I so want him to be like the crux to the whole thing. <laughs> In the end, it was all up to Pen Pen. Yeah. Like there's that weird shot in the middle of the, yeah. um, the episode that he just, you see him looking off majestically out like what why yeah did is do we suddenly see pen pen in the middle of this he's not just a house pet apparently like he's like looking toward the future like as like (laughs) the various forces of humanity are raised arrayed against the forces of the angels and in defense of pen pen it's so i mean it's comic really but it's so fucking good (laughs) oh yeah, so that's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, that's about all we got here. Um, so yeah, uh, that's going to be it for uh, this episode of Evangel again. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about episodes 8 through 10. Uh, so the first three episodes of the action arc. If you have any questions or comments, you can email the podcast at evangelagain at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at evangelagain. Uh April, where can people find you? I am, again, at A-L-Cowett, C-A-O-U-E-T-T-E, on both Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you can find me. I'm at at GalenBlade on Twitter, G-A-L-E-N-B-L-A-D-E. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, If you'd like to help out the show, please leave us a review on your podcast service of choice. It really does help other people discover the show. Uh, Our next podcast is going to be up... um, we're probably going to be start releasing these on Wednesdays, so uh, July 17th is probably the next episode. And we will uh, get that to you in a timely fashion, and it's a lot shorter this time. <laughs> but uh, until then, uh, thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.